Hello and welcome to the Jazz Podcast, episode 215. I am your host, Rob Cope, and today we're going to talk to the incredible musician, saxophone player, singer, songwriter, Caitlin L.M. Before we start, let's have a listen to Caitlin's single, Evergreen. To the jazz podcast hello thank you for having me what a delight this is we just started the show listening to your new single evergreen when did that come out uh so it came out on the 10th of march which was last week that's really recently yeah when yeah. this show goes out it's going to be like i think it might be the end of april mm-hmm. so just um it's a little bit old by then. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> that. I was like, how to stay fresh? But then at least it'll be sunny by now. Yeah. It'll be really nice yeah. We'll outside. get over the horrible March frost that we've got going yeah. on at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and this is the first face-to-face jazz podcast I've done in months. Ah. Months, possibly. Let's talk. Tell us about yourself. Oh, big question. Um, so I am a electronic producer and multi-instrumentalist vocalist. Um, and yeah, sort of do lots, lots of different bits and bobs. Um, but my main focus is my solo project, which is sort of electronic, quite ambient electronic music, which has sort of like jazzy cinematic kind of, um, elements to it. Well, this was great about Evergreen that the listeners have just heard that track has Mm. so many elements of the things you're good at because there's lots of flutes (laughs) on it. There's loads of electronics, your beautiful voice and the singing is on there as well. So do you, do you ever, do you like consciously want to try and draw all those things on every track? Yeah, I think so. Um, the past sort of year has been a lot of exploring with the music production stuff and I sort of almost was kind of against bringing back in the flute and the saxophone for a while I was just like no this is my thing now um and yeah then did a little tour recently and sort of realized actually it's really nice reincorporating those and kind of bringing it all together so I've kind of yeah switched lanes a little bit and now I really want to try and bring those worlds together and kind of see how I can make them all sit 
with each other and sort of explore that a bit more. So you you studied sax and flute at college. So I for the first my first two years I was where did you study at RNCM right. And this is the Royal Northern College yes. of Music. If our yeah. listeners are like, what are these lectures? <laughs> what is happening? Um, yeah, so I was at the Royal Northern and I studied saxophone um, for the first two years. Um, and with that, did a lot of flute and a little bit of clarinet. And um, then in third year, I transferred to study pop vocals so I basically did half and half. Wait, so you could transfer to the pop course? Yeah. Wow, and I didn't then... even know that was possible. <laughs> it was it was pretty sneaky. <laughs> wow, I love this. So did you know of anyone who'd ever done that before? Um, I'm not sure. I think I think I'd heard whispers of it happening. Right. I think if you go in with a strong enough like I can make it work and and also because it was so um because third and fourth year on the pop course were quite there was the third year was quite crossover in terms of like the modules you could take right. so I think it worked in that respect um but then the fourth year was very much a kind of quite a creative open kind of um exploring things and trying trying things out so it kind of worked that like yeah I think they were like yeah you can sing all right so we'll we'll just let you do it it's fine it's not too much of a so did you st- did you stop doing saxophone and flute at college at that point to do pop vocals? Pretty much. I occasionally went back in and did some big band stuff. Right. Wait, so were you joint principal study? No. What did you audition on? I auditioned on saxophone. Right. Um, and I actually started studying at Trinity for like a month. Right. And then transferred to RMCM. Wow. This and is then amazing. swapped course. This is so great. The queen of jumping shit. This is so great. <laughs> so, how did you wind up swapping so quickly? How did you end up. At, oh, so many questions. <laughs> how did you get to Trinity? What made you audition in the first place? Um, I think I sort of. For a while, I was like, I don't want to go to London, blah, blah, blah. Where'd you grow up? Manchester. Right. Yeah, sort of North Manchester, Bury Bolton. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't want to go to London, but Trinity looks kind of cool, so I'll do an audition. Yeah, and Greenwich doesn't really feel like London. Yeah, it felt very just like interesting and like yeah. lots of history and just, yeah. And anyway, so I kind of went, ended up deciding to go with Trinity and then got there. And then for a month, I was just like, Quite unhappy, didn't really settle in much. and Is there a reason that you think that you didn't click with it? I think, so the course was Were very... Were you going to do classical saxophone? I was on classical, not jazz. And I think, I thought I could do more jazz than I actually could on the classical course. It's what course. made me nervous when I applied. And I apologise to Trinity if anyone's listening <laughs> and I've like offended because I don't mean to. But because there's a classical degree there and a jazz degree yeah. there, I always worried like, well, how much are you going to let people go in between the two? Yeah. Because you've got students for both. Whereas at the RNCM, they've only got a degree of saxophone. Yeah. And within that, you're pretty free to do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that freedom wasn't there. And also, I didn't really like living in London. Right. Um, and I don't know whether that would change if I was there now, but at the time, I was just like, this feels... It was, like, too chaotic, too busy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like I like going to London for a few days, mm-hmm. and, like, it, it, it's great. But I was like, for living, this isn't, this isn't for me. 
Um, and so, yeah, I was just quite unhappy. And luckily, like, my parents were very supportive and were just like, if it's not working, like, let's look at other options. And actually, I called up Andy Scott and right. said, like, because Andy had taught me, um, I'd had a few private lessons with him and at um, junior RNCM. Right. Um, and he basically sorted out me transferring to RNCM and helped me just kind of make that wow, move over. Wow, so, that's yeah. amazing. We were talking before we started. I was telling you how much Andy helped me with my career. Yeah. With, with when I was like 18 helping make key decisions for me that I didn't know how to make or yeah. what to do but that's amazing that he's done the same for you yeah and I do actually remember Andy at one point saying I don't think you're gonna like Trinity and I was like no I'm gonna like Trinity yeah. and he was right all along oh, so brutal. yeah I should have listened wow. to him in the first place but yeah, yeah he sorted sorted me out sort of getting back up to Manchester and yeah. RNCM and yeah just well, while we're on the subject, I will say, dear listeners, that of course Trinity's amazing, and there's lots of people I know who went there yes. who are ridiculous saxophone yes. players. It's not that it's not a great degree; it's just the right degree. Yeah, right just person, finding the one that's it? it. I know so many incredible players and lovely humans who yeah. went to Trinity, and yeah, absolutely. So then you get to the northern a month after everyone else yeah yeah and what's it like is everyone like are you like you suck are you there is it like because like music college can be quite a small bubble Mm -hmm. are people annoyed that you've just shown up do people (laughs) even know that you haven't been there since the start or you just like walk into class and be like hey guys how you doing i think i generally i felt quite welcomed actually it never felt like who are you and it was quite good, like, because I'd been at juniors, I did have a few people that I knew already, and right. it wasn't completely, like, everyone is new. Yeah. And, yeah, I actually, yeah, I felt I felt pretty, like, welcomed, and um, I think the only thing that was more difficult was there wasn't any spaces left in, uh, in halls, so I had to just get, like, a house a bit further out, so that sometimes was a bit lonely, but apart from that, it was... Um, yeah, it was actually quite a smooth transition and quite a big relief, I think. Wow, yeah, that's a very, uh, it's a very interesting start to kind mm-hmm. of make that decision. I spoke to Matt Carmichael on on our show mm-hmm. a few months ago, and Matt had done almost exactly the same thing. He'd gone to Royal Academy for one month mm-hmm. and just wasn't into it, yeah. so he transferred back to the Royal Scottish. Mm-hmm. Um, conservatoire and super happy but stories like that I find really inspiring because it's not it's there's never a point that you're like destiny is defined like it's in your power to be like no this isn't working yeah absolutely I think I was very lucky with like my parents were both I don't know not very traditional in the sense of like you start a job you know when you Mm -hmm. finish school or whatever and then you stay there until you retire or anything like my my dad did lots of jobs and then eventually decided that he wanted to do music so he started teaching bass and um you know that wasn't until his like 40s 50s that he started doing that and then my mum went from being an aerobics instructor to a clinical hypnotherapist to a seaside landlady and like was always just like if it's making me happy I'll do it and if it stops making me happy I'll move on to something else and yeah I always really, I think that was really comforting when I was kind of experiencing these moments of like, oh, this isn't right. And 
not feeling like I had to stick with something just because I decided to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that really informs the confidence you must have taken into being like, I'm swapping to the popcorn. <laughs> so long, suckers. <laughs> did they miss you in the, in the, you know, were you, did, was there any resistance? Was anyone being like, don't swap, don't go and do pop vocals or you um, just wished well? And yeah, I was generally way. just wished well and yeah. it, was, it was really nice. I just, yeah, kind of felt like I still had this little, the little saxophone gang, which I still kind yeah. of felt like a part of but also yeah kind of trying new things and equally felt quite welcomed by by the pop course as well right and and I already had a lot of mates on the pop course as well and yeah so it all kind of flowed quite smoothly wow how very interesting so what what did you learn how much music production do they teach you on the pop course so there's an optional module. Yeah. Um, and I took that module and I was, um, everyone else was male. So I was the only, only female person in the class and they were already way ahead of me and I had never done anything before. And so I did this module and the whole thing was me panically writing down like, compression eq and then going out and googling them when i got home because i had no idea what anything was um and so i did that module and i actually did quite well in in the end but it was out of like pure like graft outside of the lessons because i had no idea but i kind of it kind of put me off a little bit just because i felt like yeah i've had to work a lot harder than everyone else to get this yeah um but then uh So I didn't really go into that for a few years. And then in 2020, I got a commission with, through um, Brighter Sound, uh, which are a wonderful organisation based in Manchester who um, work with young people and like emerging artists um, to give them sort of opportunities and sort of development opportunities. Um, and so this commission was, it was this international commission and it's between, um, so it's always with um, women and gender minorities. And I was paired with an incredible musician and songwriter, producer called Dieter Eligod, who lives in uh, Denmark. And over Zoom, we wrote a whole EP together and it was such an incredible experience, like working with a woman on, on in in like a music tech situation, and for the first time, I felt like I was in a space where I could really explore it and not kind of feel self conscious or feel like I don't know, maybe I was not didn't have a place there, um, and so yeah, that kind of started. So did she teach you a lot about? The production yeah where, we kind of like bounced ideas a lot and right. um we just sort of chatted through things loads yeah. and it was it's like she taught me a lot and also she I guess taught me to be like inquisitive and enjoy it from a creative point I right. think before that I'd seen it as quite a like practical thing yeah and I saw music production as like there's this screen with all this stuff on. I don't know what any of it means. and mm. uh, It's quite intimidating, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then she like, showed me how to start exploring it from a really creative 
point of view and it really kind of opened up this world of like oh my god music production is really cool um and loads of fun and so yeah the past few years I've just been kind of dipping in and out of it trying new things exploring things and then yeah I think the past sort of six months has been me kind of really starting to find my sound and yeah you said about taking away the clarinet and the sax Mm. sorry the flute and the sax for a while yeah and then and then reintegrating it this kind of journey of discovery and exploration did that all start straight after college or did you take a few years and then decide that you were going to like write songs and sing and when did it come to you, this kind of, the the artist that you're now becoming or have become? It was interesting. It started off, I think, so the first thing, like, year before last, actually, so 2021, I released a single as Caitlin LM, which has subsequently been removed from the internet because everything's changed. <laughs> um, Why did you remove it? Because it was basically like a sort of singer-songwritery kind of vibe. Right. So it's very different to what I'm doing and what my musical thing is now. Right. Um, and, yeah, I, I sort of, at that point, I was very much like, I am a singer-songwriter with, like, a bit of production involved. And I think this is my other thing. As much as I'm quite good at jumping ship and trying new things, I also... Um, I can also get quite stuck in my ways and be like, this is what I am and I'm not doing anything else. Um, but then actually the more I like, the more I work on things and explore things, the more I realize like I create a lot better when I just do whatever the music feels like it wants in that moment rather right. than trying to put really fixed boundaries on yes. what I am and who I am. And, um, so yeah, there was a period of time when like when I was studying vocals, I was like, I don't play saxophone anymore. And then I started playing saxophone again, like on and off for a bit. And then now I'm like, actually, no, I love playing saxophone. And like, I yeah. want this to be back as part of things. And yeah, I think that's something I'm trying to embrace a bit more at the moment. It's just like, just, it doesn't matter how I create the music. I just want to create it like whatever the music needs in that moment rather than overthinking who I am and what my music is. It's quite difficult when you've got, cause you have so many skills. <laughs> so you're caught in this, I have one life skill. I can only play the saxophone. So I don't have this worry of like, what else can I be? But you've got, you've got so many ways that you could present yourself mm. and, and like, We've done, I met you doing a contemporary music piece that Andy Scott had written called Mancunity that was commissioned for the Manchester Jazz Festival. Mm. Um, but that was basically all, the majority of it, you were playing Barry Sax and flute, I think. Yeah, and, and a little bit of vocals. Lots of bits of vocals um, and lots yeah. of like note reading. Yeah. Like I would have just, I assumed that you were like a contemporary classical, mm. you know, reader. And then you hear Evergreen and it's like something <laughs> that's like a different person completely. <laughs> but that's an amazing achievement in itself to have so many life skills. And I think your choice to bring them all together is very exciting. Yeah. Because it's what makes you so different to everybody else. Yeah, I think so. I think um, 
I just, yeah, I think I need to like trust in that a little bit more. And I think sometimes I worry that like, well, maybe I'm like jack of all trades, a master of none. Mm -hmm. But like, actually, I think one of the things that I realized when I was, when I was studying saxophone really was that I was obsessively working really hard because I wanted to like, I had it in my head, like I needed to be really good at saxophone. Like I needed to be top, top level saxophone. And I actually now... I'm so much happier with the idea of like, I'm not bothered about being the most incredible saxophone mm. player. As long as I can say what I want to say with the instrument, that's yeah. what's important to me. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I'm just trying to lean into this idea of like, I want to be able to do what the music needs it to do, but I, I'm not bothered about, you know, becoming the next incredible like top jazz player or anything like yeah. that's not my musical output i think it's a takes a lot of maturity to come to that conclusion and i believe personally that everyone does mm. at every stage and every level everyone reaches a point where they if they're going to keep playing and keep enjoying it, it just has to be because you want to do it for you because it's yeah. fun but yeah. i was like you when i was 18 i was like I'm going to learn to be not the, not, I, I probably was like the fastest, the best, you know, <laughs> you just want to be as good as you can possibly be. Yeah. Um, whereas now I'm just happy to play. I'm just mm. delighted if I get to play my saxophones for any reason. But the last thing I ever worry about is if I'm any good or not. Mm. Just like, never mind that. It's fun. Yeah. It's yeah. A laugh if you, if I, you know, I'll get to play yeah. it. And, and, but I have that constant worry as well mm -hmm. of like trying, I try and treble and, teach and play clarinet, teach and play the flute. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm terrible at all of them. <laughs> sometimes I get really funny about being as, as people are like, you're a sax player, right? I'm like, no, how can you not know about the others? You know, it's really bizarre how much of our profession is about like your self-image. Yeah, yeah. I found it really interesting when I started delving more into the production stuff and putting myself out into the world as a producer. I then started meeting loads of people who were really shocked when they saw me playing saxophone, which was really bizarre because in my head I was like, oh, everyone sees me as a saxophone player, but actually I just want to be a producer. Yeah. And then the other way around, I was like, oh, wait, what? Like, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful to think of, it gives you that shock of like, whoa, they see me completely different yeah. to how I thought I saw myself. Or yeah, it's quite a nice thing, you. I guess. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a big mistake I made at college was um, I was at college in the same year or maybe two years above Laura Judd. I think mm. I was slightly above her. And um, one day I went, I met up with her at Trinity where she was studying and we were going to have a play together. And mm. I played in a few bands with Laura and we'd done a few bits together. This is after I'd done four years at the Northern mm -hmm. on the saxophone degree, went to London on a jazz degree. Uh, I hadn't realised that most of the people who had assumed if anyone had assumed anything about me about the northern they'd assumed i'd done classical clarinet mm. a lot of the jazz musicians i was meeting didn't know that there's like a contemporary classical mm. degree and that that's what you did so anyway i accidentally got on a reputation as a classical reading improvising clarinet player <laughs> and for a while had loads of great gigs out of it because that was like the thing that i did <laughs> i didn't know why people kept booking me but i just kept being like cool and then i'd learn music <laughs> and it would i'd survive by the skin of my teeth you know and, and um and then one day anyway so i go to trinity and laura's there and i unpack my saxophone 
And I saw the look on her face. She was like, oh, I thought you played clarinet. <laughs> and like the whole thing crumbled. Oh. I was like, no. <laughs> if I had known that that's what she thought that I was doing, I'd have taken it. Yeah. I'd, have, I'd have happily kept that up as long as possible. <laughs> I was really upset. But it gave me the same feeling of like, mm. wow, how interesting. Yeah. You know, like having a basically different, slightly different artistic identity. Yeah. It's interesting. So tell me more about producing. Have you ever worked on anyone else's music? Um, I've collaborated with people, um, not so much in like a music, as like a, an artist setting, but, um, I've done some things with like a little bit of dance and theatre and things like that. Um, so during the, uh, pandemic, I did a project with an incredible, um, contemporary and ballet dancer called Tala Lee Turton, who, um, was just working on this project I think it was part of um part of her studies um so she did um she studied I think in Russia um doing like ballet like classical ballet type stuff and then I think came back to the UK and did uh something to do with um, arts stuff I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I told you there'd be some rambly moments (laughs) Um, but basically, like, yeah, she was doing this course in, like, kind of arts uh, engagement, management kind of thing to kind of tie in with her dance stuff. And, um, yeah, we did this piece called um, Follow the White Rabbit. And it was um, basically, like, interacting with, like, an online audience. So we it started off, she had a clip that was just loads of mini clips of all the crazy stuff that was happening in 2020. And then she sent that out to people and asked them to respond uh, with like a sentence or a few words. Right. And then we then incorporated that into the music, which she then um, had like a team and they like choreographed um, a dance for it and filmed it. And then, so that this was like, we did it in like phases. So I did like a really basic idea for the music. And then we, uh, once all the dance was put together and filmed, they then sent it back out to people and got them to respond to that video. And so I then incorporated that into the music and we did it like in a few layers, right? Uh, which was a really interesting process. Um, definitely ended up having to cut a lot out <laughs> towards the end, right. but um, yeah, it was like sort of, it was the a best the best kind of, I don't know, interactive, having an audience that kind of outside of live streaming that we could do in, in that kind of setting with the, everything being locked down at that point. So is it then like sent back to the audience at the end? Would you constantly have the same audience that you were like, here's what I think, yeah, about? I think it was the same people or at yeah. least um, a sort of big bunch who all kind of contributed. Right. Um, so yeah, that was a really interesting project. And that was, that was my first sort of, after doing the Bright Sound Commission with Dieter in Denmark, um, that was the first thing that was like a, a a project that I was asked to do as a producer. Right. So that was really fun and it was a really, um, it was just a really cool project because I love dance as well and yeah. I think it's such an amazing art form so it was really lovely to be involved with that. Um, and then recently... Well, it's been it's spanned over a few years. So uh I think it was twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. Um I was working with uh 
a theatre maker and actor called Susanna Amato, who is incredible. Um, She's worked on all sorts, but this project was looking at... um, Yeah, it's about grief and loss, um, but basically she um, went through some huge bereavements and... um, from it basically became a hoarder and had all of these memories and kept hold of them all and found it really difficult to let go of them. And um, basically she live shreds the memories on stage, the actual, like, actual things. So, like, like, so loads of things, like, from, like, train tickets to, like, letters or little notes and things like that. She has a shredder on stage and shreds these memories. Um, Yeah, so initially... Whenever you say shredder, I just think of, like, paper jams. The whole thing fills me with anxiety. (laughs) It's a pretty hardcore shredder. I was going to say, it's got to be a good one. Yeah, it is good. It seems pretty pretty solid. Okay, I want to get one of these. Yeah, good one. Our one's not. (laughs) Yeah, they they always seem to be terrible. Yeah. It's like you have one job. Why yeah. are you on fire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it started off initially. Um, I wrote a track for her, which was quite out of my comfort zone. So we kind of worked on the lyrics together. But it's quite... So the show is, is really funny. So you wrote um, the song for the show? Yes, yeah. yeah. And the show is really funny. So the song is like kind of a bit a bit silly, which is very out of my comfort zone because my music tends to be quite serious. And I'm well, not Your necessarily serious, very, but it's beautiful and emotional. Yeah, it's poignant. Poignant. Yeah, I think that's that's a good word for it. Um, but yeah, I'm not very much of a like funny music. Like that's not my my expertise. But we wrote the lyrics together and kind of like worked out what needed to be said and I kind of put it together into a song. Um, And it's all very melodramatic and over the top. And um, uh, yeah, so I wrote that a while ago. So that was in the initial version of the show, which was performed at home in Manchester, the theatre. And... um, Wow, what a great space. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Did you enjoy writing that song? I did. It was quite cathartic. Because um, yeah. I, I think because I had that space to be like, it can be a bit silly and overdramatic. Like, yeah. I just kind of went into it with like, I'm just going to have fun with this. Because mm-hmm. I know if it's really over the top, then that's okay. That's the point of it. So I think I could stop worrying about like, does this come across in like a, you know, it? I, I didn't have to worry about it being too much. Basically. Yeah. Um, so it was really fun. And then uh, recently, I think she was supposed to be performing it today or tomorrow. Um, she was going to be doing another performance of it in London, but it's been um, it's it's been pushed back to April because of the tube strikes. Right. So, um, uh, but yeah, she asked me to write another track for it. And this one was more of a kind of instrumental thing with... Um, the idea being this sort of moment of accepting that you need to move forward with your life and that the grief can't just sort of take control of everything and you need to kind of have that moment of kind of letting go and enjoying life. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the kind of like the resistance to that and the the kind of I don't know the desire to to still live your life and enjoy things but also how difficult that can feel and all the difficult emotions tied with that so um yeah and I was really inspired by um John Hopkins for that one he's like a big um inspiration of mine in terms of um production and who is this guy uh so he's uh he's a music producer <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I should have some facts shouldn't I? you don't need any facts how have you like discovered him um oh it's a good question because I don't know this person, you see. I think. How do I? I think that? my first. I think my first. Like proper engagement with his music was, I think it was him. Yeah, it was that. Um, there was a piece at Manchester International Festival, which was like a film that they played inside the GMEX. No, it's not the GMEX anymore, is it? What is it? Manchester Central. Yeah. G-Mex, um, God, G-Mex, that makes yeah. me feel old. In it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a converted railway station. Yeah, but it's like this massive hall. Yeah, and they had like so at the front, and this was like just as you could go to events in COVID, but everything was still quite like restricted. So it was this huge, huge, huge space, and then right at the front there was just like a few rows of seats, and then this massive screen and these um, big speakers. And it was this um, this film that was like um, it was Killian Murphy, and it was all like one big monologue. And you walk into the room, and there's all these like big lights, kind of really vibey and stro- like strobe lightings and things like that. And I don't think all, but some of the music was written by John Hopkins, right? Um, and I think. I think the power of it as well, because it is, it was after COVID and it was the first time I'd been in an environment with like huge speakers and like really feeling like yeah. bass in your chest. I was yeah. just like, whew, that's really cool. Um, so yeah. And then from there, I really um, started getting into his music. And then yeah, recently I've just been really, really digging into that kind of sound world. Right. Um, lots of kind of like synths and like really kind of like, I don't know, almost like pulsating and like yeah. sort of crackly, nice, um, uh, like organic sounds as well. And um, yeah. Do you ever listen to Cosmo Sheldrake? No. His songs are all like with real sounds. Oh, okay. It's really nice. I will check that out. Yeah. Thank you. Um, are you into synths? Kind of. I want to be more into synths. So I don't have any actual analog synths or anything which makes me quite sad but i use like um stuff on like ableton i do things right. with like midi and stuff so yeah i want to I think analog synths is like like go away for two years into yeah. A cave, yeah, yeah 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 like, it's like a cabin in the woods yeah get really absolutely like, it's yeah like, uh, it's a, a bit like production i think it's a Maybe it's a bit of an intimidating world to get into, but mm. once you get in and you start chatting to... I mean, I know nothing about them, except that my friends who like synths, and analog synth is the dream. Mm. That's the ultimate challenge. Yeah, yeah. One day, one day, I'll have a room full of analog synths. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna, when I retire, I want to go to the local cricket and to commentate and do the scoreboard. Ah, oh, That's my... With that's... an analog synth on the side. <laughs> 
You could play it. Was it that having? Is it like it baseball? Like baseball. I love that. That's like the only thing my piano playing could pull off. <laughs> <laughs> little baseball licks, or maybe even I just have a button. Yeah. There's a Simpsons episode where they do that. The giant <laughs> scoreboard in the principal's office, and then you just anyway. That's a, that's a tangent I could be down for years on end. Uh, Caitlin, tell us what are your plans for the future? What's coming up? What's coming up in May? In May. And um, June and all the months after it that are not April. So, that's a good question. End of very last day of April, I'm playing... When will this go out? Will this be before then? I don't know. It'll probably be like the last day of April. Okay, so if you hear it on the last day of April, <laughs> on the 31st of April, I think. That's the Sunday, yeah. Um, I'm playing at Sounds from the Other City in Salford, which is a lovely festival. Um, I've got a couple of other festival things over the summer, which I'm kind of starting to get into place now, but yeah. I don't have any any confirmed dates yet. But we can find you on Instagram. And yeah, yeah, stuff. and I have a mailing list as well, which is generally um, a good place to keep in touch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, my main thing this year, or for the next few months at least, is definitely just really digging into some creative time and mm-hmm. I feel like over the past sort of four or five months I've done like a lot of gigging and which mm-hmm. that's been really good I feel like that's really helped me kind of consolidate what I've been working on yeah and now I'm kind of ready to take that into the studio and just work on things and right. kind of yeah make make the next batch of things to release and kind of make it as me as possible yeah what really resonated with me earlier was you're talking about like boundaries as like a negative mm. feeling like music had to fit this thing or that mm. thing and I do think that I feel the same way the more I let go of what I think it should be like and just do what I want mm. like following my ears rather than being led by like rules yes tend to come yeah. up with better things that way yeah definitely so um I, that's, there's no point to that I just wanted to say um, <laughs> no I agree I'm excited to hear Definitely. what you've got next Caitlin thank you so much for coming on the jazz podcast thank you so much for having delight. me let's finish by listening to one of the tracks we were discussing earlier this is Landfill of Memories mm-hmm. 